Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Today, um, a colleague of someone we've had on the podcast before who's ideas about the curation of memories are so interesting that I thought it'd be interesting to um, meet another member of the team, both to hear tales of resilience about the way different corporate structures work, but also to hear a little bit more about their progress with the project. So I'm delighted to welcome Sam Syed with us today. Thank you. Good to be here. And um, tell us a bit about yourself, Sam, because it sounds like there's a British accent going on. That's almost a novelty on this podcast. So uh, tell us more. There is. Um, I'm glad you picked up the British part because I spent four and a half years in Dubai and uh, most of my friends there were Australian and South African. So I've got a bit of an Australian and South African twang in there. But I was born in West London, um, a place called Hammersmith. Um, and um, I was there up until about my mid-20s until I started traveling around the world and working in different countries. And, and I'm interested in the Dubai experience because, of course, I've actually been an expat in Dubai, so I also find that very interesting. How it's one of the fastest moving economies and cultures really around. I guess when I was there, it was quite antiquated, and I was meeting people whose whose families were part of the original people who set up the the enclaves on the sides of the river. And uh, you know, you go out there now, and it's like blimey, it's it's like a small. I don't know. It's like, it's like a small country's own right, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that because um, I 100% agree. Uh, when, when I when I moved to Dubai, um, because of the nature of my profession, I had to meet different types of people. I was a, a wealth manager out there and um, built a, a, a practice out there, so I was almost forced to to dip into everyone's enclaves. <laughs> I was forced to to dip into everyone's cultures, and so Dubai for me as opposed to kind of getting stuck into the brick community and drinking tea every day. And uh, I remember hearing one of your podcasts about that. Um, I actually got to experience different cultures. So for me, it really rocket propelled my career and set me up to eventually move to the States. Yes. And I guess there's something about the Dubai atmosphere that rewards a certain type of mindset, isn't there? It's a sat thrusting sort of... Uh, aspirational thing that a lot of Americans talk about in this podcast, that positive, no, no can say die, you know, get on with it. And you get the sense in Dubai that actually the weak don't survive that much. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people trodden underfoot because there's a oh. huge number of poor people out there, which no one talks about mentions. I mean, no one says the dreaded word labor camps, but they're still there. 
Oh yeah, um, I was part of the church out there, and we actually went into those labor camps, and it was uh, yeah, um, I experienced that in first hand. But um, you know, um, the first I'll say year and a half of my time in Dubai was definitely um, the hardest time of my life. Um, speaking about resilience, um, but I managed to break through that and experience the better side of Dubai. Um, but yes, um, the, the sand pit can be a very harsh uh, climate, uh, both in in terms of heat, um, but also in terms of uh, survival. Yes, and I think it's um, it's one of those where actually you don't make a lot of mistakes and come back from it. You really just make one, don't you? And that's it. You you sort of seem to get one chance. I don't know what your oh, view yeah. is. <laughs> yes, I've heard many stories about that, and uh, sadly they're true. But yes, you get one chance, you're kicked out. And I mean, there's no substitute for being rich. Uh, and uh, but 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 the fascinating thing about it is that we often talk on here about the the need for hard work, and actually some people sort of want to coast through life and don't realize that resilience is a skill. It's something you actually have to work on. You have to work on having the energy to to work lots of hours and to push yourself and you know, that yeah. mi- mindset follows skill in a way rather than the other way around, I suppose. So oh, yeah. um, so where did you get the resources from what, to make you successful? Um, such an interesting question. You know, I if I really had to track it back to the well, um, I would say it was my upbringing. Mm. Um, I was born in, uh, as you know, London, but my parents moved um, to the outskirts of West London. I'm one of six boys. Um, wow. A very much working class family and um, with uh, Portuguese and Pakistani heritage. So um, as a young boy, um, you know, I was very racism was very uh, prominent in my life. Uh, not full on, but, you know, racist racial slurs and and whatnot growing up. And I always remember a quote from um, the great Oscar Wilde, um, be yourself because everyone else is taken. And so when I speak about resilience, I think about, um, I had to look at myself as different, but different in a really good way. Um, most of my friends were, you know, white and still are, but, um, you know, I was, I was kind of the, the only colored uh, person in the group. So I was always the subject to some type of racial slurs. And, and so that kind of toughened me up and made me a better person. And uh, also I'll say the working class aspects of growing up and, being, being the boy that always wanted something, but not, I didn't always get it. Um, and learning that you had to pay for things in life. And that naturally led to my um, understanding of money at a very young age. And I realized that this, um, well, now hyperinflated printed money is actually something that can buy you things in life. And so I pursued a, a career of finance and, and uh, eventually took on a, a stockbroking apprenticeship in, in London. And, you know, you, you talk about the hard times in Dubai and uh, one chance and having to make it. Well, that all came from my, my stockbroking career. My friends called me a glorified cold caller back then, mm-hmm. um, although my, my title said training stockbroker. Yeah. <laughs> I think the former was correct. And um, you talk about resilience and, you know, I had to dial three, 400 calls a day to eventually get all my FCA licenses to finally become a a qualified trader. And then it's it's never really stopped from there. You know, you need to put in the hard work in order to, uh, in order to grow. And um, I'm I'm really thankful for my upbringing. I had a fantastic childhood, um, but I'm also thankful that I kind of wasn't silver spooned 
at all during my life. Everything that I've managed to accomplish was from my personal success. So you've mentioned a few things. Let's unpack a few things. So the first thing is that there are lots of people who experience racism and um, cultural slurs where they are broken. And um, so do you attribute that working class, get over yourself, get on with it, focus on the money, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, no one's going to do it except by you. It's slightly more tough love, maybe, um, um, style of parenting. Oh, no, I'm putting words in your own mouth. I don't know what the answer yeah, is. Yeah, no, no. So funny enough, so my, my, my favourite subjects in life, in school, um, which I studied, were actually, were actually history and philosophy. Right. <laughs> I just happened to be really good at, at managing money and, and, and the wealth management side. And, um, you know, we'll talk about it later, but that's how I ended up um, co-founding Capsule, uh, which uh, was mentioned in, in your March release podcast with our CEO, um, Clint Davis. But um, no, no, actually, my parents were, were very much um, kind of more, more loosey, actually. Uh, you know, if I, got in, I got in trouble a lot as a, as a kid. I was always a good boy. But, uh, you know, I had my fair share of mischief moments with, with, with the boys. And um, no, I had really, really good upbringing. And it was more of that um, seeing my friends. You know, it's so funny, Russell. I, I look back and from primary school and secondary school and for Americans or international listed in, um, you know, when I was six to 11, I, I remember my friends getting pocket money and, and I've never, ever had pocket money in my life. Same and they'll be talking about, oh, I had five pounds, which obviously in today's money would be about $15 a week for a, for a six-year-old, you know? The rest, yeah. For me, I, I, I never had it. And, and so I, I was always looking at it like, I want this. How do I get it? And, um, you know, the, the world wasn't going to give it to me. I had to, I had to find a way to, to break through that mold and, um, and get it. So I've, I've got a very love attitude to it. It's not necessarily tough love, although the life has toughened me up where um, I don't get scared when I sit with someone with a, a B, um, you know, a, a billion dollars in their, in their account because no, no one's going to tell me, you know, <laughs> no one's going to dictate my life, basically. No. And also the, you meet many billionaires who are the mis- miserable and happy, unfulfilled people. And you meet people who are poor, who are happy, unfulfilled. So money doesn't money is a different sort of indicator, isn't it? Um, now, I was going to ask you a really profound question, but you went on and said something so, so interesting that I forgot my really brilliant and profound question. So maybe that'll come back later on. So you've, you've, you've worked in, um, as you said, in different countries and such like, and you've, you've worked in wealth management, but then you sort of... You've gotten to the sort of crazy roller coaster ride of, of private equity and small startups and such like. So that's that's a huge um, change. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the mindset or the approaches or decisions that led you to something along those lines? Yeah, um, without getting too philosophical, life life always makes sense when you look back, right? Yeah. It does. It never makes sense in the moment, and so I've always had this exterior being and you can call it the universe or whatever you want to call it um and i've always understood my meaning in life and i've always wanted to make a change in life so those are the two fundamentals i've always known i was destined for more but i've also known that i like making people happy or making a personal difference in people's lives and i've also i'm from two immigrant parents right they've they've lived in the uk now for 50 odd years but um but they both came from different countries and so traveling was not something new to me because I wouldn't have been born if my, yeah. if my parents didn't move to London. And so um, I, I guess 
my, my biggest success um, or, or whatever you want to call it has been I've never settled, even though I've been successful. There's always been this kind of burning desire to look, not necessarily the, the grass is greener type mentality, but I've always said, what if, what if? And so when I left the UK, I was offered a, a wealth management position in Dubai and I originally said, you know, let me think about it. But moving to Dubai was the best decision I ever made in my life. And then I built this really successful career in Dubai. And then someone was knocking on my door saying, have you ever thought about Manhattan? And I'm like, oh, gosh, yellow taxis, you know, the, the, you know that hustle and bustle. But I'm also on this great salary and I've, you know, I've made a name for myself. And you know what Dubai is like. If you, if you make it, you make it. If you don't, you're gone, right? And um, one word brought me to New York. It was curiosity. That was it. It was purely curiosity. It wasn't the money. In fact, moving to New the first year was extremely difficult. Um, the salary I was promised was a lie. Um, I had to basically start from the beginning again. I couldn't bring any of my clients from Dubai over. But yeah, I still made a name for myself. And I still managed to, to build up this kind of empire, using New York terms, um, in, um, in, in New York. And so, and so I then built up this, this another successful practice. I was you know, winning national awards in, my, in the company that I was at. And then Clint gives cool. And he says to me, I've got this idea that I want to run by you. And I listened to the idea, and this goes back to my passion in history and philosophy. And I was like, I said to myself, all right, this is it. I've got to, I've got to make the jump. And if it wasn't for those life lessons learned from a boy or making it in Dubai or surviving in New York, I probably would have said no. But I feel like, Russell, it's been this big buildup to finally bring me here to, yeah. to, to, to make the biggest change through, through our company. And in a way, you've, you've gone from the advice market into the actual revenue generation market, haven't you? And it's a, it's a poacher gamekeeper thing, because I suppose you're talking to, you've been managing the wealth of people who've been doing what you're doing now. And you realise that's, it's actually really, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different form of, it's a different form of activity, isn't it? Creating wealth for the back of somebody else's wealth, as opposed to generating it for yourself, finding it and creating it and, and such like. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that, for, well, but maybe I'm wrong. No, you're actually right. I've never actually, you just taught me something today because I never looked at it that way. But yes, I've always managed the money of that successful people built from scratch. And I'm now building something from scratch, <clears throat> which is a lot harder, yeah. especially after leaving the corporate world. It's a, it's a lot harder. Yeah. So what are the what are the challenges then in, in, in a startup that people might not realize? I mean, I'm guessing you've got funding, so you must have a, an equity um, investor somewhere. Well, all the funding that we've been that we've been getting so far is is what we raise. Um, so, and I'm and I'm primarily in the hat for that. It's the reason why I had to rescind all of my financial licenses so I can go out there and. And, and raise the money um yeah it's so it's so much so leaving leaving the corporate world you're leaving behind things that you never knew you had yeah. until you leave and it sounds a bit silly but for example you have to have check-ins in the corporate world there's always there's always a mentor there's always a boss there to oversee what you're doing and 
you know, for the independent people, they're like, I don't need that. But for everyone else, secretly you do. You kind of need a check-in every now and then because we're all humans and we all have emotions. The second one is um, an organized calendar, believe it or not, you know, yeah. because you, you, you have this ram-packed calendar when you're in the corporate world, but when you're working for yourself, there's no one telling you to do anything. <laughs> so, so that leads to the third one, which is routine. And I think routine's extremely important because if you lose if you lose your routine, then you kind of you kind of start feeling like um, a bit of a bum, even though you're working a lot. But you you kind of have this this free space, mm. and you kind of start kicking yourself if you're taking an extra coffee or being able to, to to go for that walk, which you wouldn't usually do in the corporate world. This is all new to me, by the way, Russell. We I officially left 15 years of wealth management back in Jan um, 2022. And uh, in the time of this recording, we're, we're speaking mid-April 2022. So um, my advice to anyone starting uh, a company and leaving the corporate world is really just to spend a day or two and perfect time over the weekends, if you're, if you're busy, to sit down and strategize how your day is going to look. Um, literally to the point of, I'm going to spend two hours here um, calling PE or uh, private equity or VC or potential independent investors. I'm going to spend two hours here networking and leaving the home. I'm going to spend an hour here reading my favorite book. Otherwise, I'm never going to get to read it. I'm going to spend an hour here walking the dog and getting some exercise or whatever it is, because no one's going to tell you to do it. <laughs> if Once you leave the corporate world, you, you're literally on your own. Um, yes. And yes, I've got two amazing co-founders um, but we're also you know deep in 33 percent of what we're working with in our respective companies so and we're all suffering from those same issues of calendar management and making sure that we get the most fulfillful day and it's and it's a challenge isn't it because like the corporate world you can end up doing that uh, i think the expression was niche isn't it you know that sort of crappy stuff because that seems it's immediate it's in front of you, you you know that you tick the list but actually that idea of having two hour blocks is the way you do strategy and it's what we say in large organizations except in large organizations people haven't the discipline whereas you know you you can make the choice but it's it's often quite schizophrenic being in the small company because you're doing that thing where <laughs> you're running around like mad saying we've got no revenue so we've got to rush around finding revenue or funding whatever it is and of course you get the revenue of funding and you're saying well, now we've got no business so now you've got to run around and do the business and then when you're doing that you're not doing the next bit which is the revenue stage because fundamentally if the three of you assuming you know if you're not have, having a thousands of employees which is where all your troubles really do start fundamentally if you three don't do it it just doesn't happen at all where that's the biggest yeah. thing about the corporate world i used to find very relaxing that if i hadn't done it there was probably someone down the road that probably had and, right and, and you know you're, you're the sort of run rate it doesn't mean that you're going to be out in your ear a week on thursday it's it's like actually this company can survive for you know maybe a decade or so before it has to you know realign hello many corporates i have wanted to over the course of my life i'm sure you're the same have it made you wonder how they actually keep going at all, frankly. But uh, right. so, so the three of you have to sort of peer manage and coach, I suppose, as well. And I'm guessing you get um, some sort of executive help from the PE firms as well. But um, do you think that external voice is useful or do you think the internal rigor of having peer management is, is enough? Oh, I, I would definitely say external. I've, I've got coaches that I, that I use, um, on the record and off the record, you know, people that I, I pay 
to, to coach me and, and people that are just mentors, um, um, very good mentors of that in my life. Um, I think um, whether it's a religious leader or um, a, a paid coach or a good friend or a successful person in your life or a, a family member that you're extremely close to and can talk about non-family stuff um, and friends, you always need you always need people in your life. I know that's the same for our CEO and, and for, for Anton, um, our other co-founder. Um, so yeah, 100%. We, we, we have two major check-ins every week, um, co-founder meetings, where it's turned into a lot of work uh, we have to discuss, but we also try to carve out some time to talk about ourselves and yeah. uh, each other. And, um, and then absolutely, uh, for anyone, uh, corporate or non-corporate, you know, <laughs> you talk about resilience, uh, n- none of that resilience would have happened, no matter how tough-minded I was, um, without, without external help and advice. Yeah, and internal support and help as well, because if you don't get on with your, with your colleagues, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. it, it can be quite a subtle problem you know working out who you're in partnership with in business because the 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 very nature of being entrepreneurial often means that egos can be quite large and delicate and you know welding three together must be quite a challenge so i just wonder how you've you've tackled that successfully (laughs) that's how we've done it you know we've we've we're very good friends we've known each other for a collective of 40 years so that definitely helps. Yeah. And uh, we've got each other's back. And, you know, we've had, some, you know, a handful of, I'll, I'll call them heated discussions as opposed to arguments because no one can run a company or build a company for over a year without some, talk, some sort of disagreement. Yeah, um, but we, we, we come through it because yeah. we, um, you know, we, we're putting the mission first. We know what this company can be. And, um we respect each other and we, we're, you know, we're also a soft punching bag and a voice to listen to for each other. Yeah. And I think that's, that's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, I think that there's a, there's a fear in corporate life now, isn't it? That actually you can't disagree with each other. And, and by there, there goes innovation and creativity out the window, because if you want a bunch of different people or highly passionate, enthusiastic people, you're going to get conflict. And I, a colleague of mine always says conflict inevitable, but fighting is optional. Because conflict's just about professional disagreements, isn't it? And you need heated debates because, but then you need a way of not making them personal so you can actually see the point of the conversation in the first place. Right. So just before, it's funny you say that because just before I kind of handed in the towel and, and said, um, you know, I've got to, got to go change the world and left the corporate world, um, I actually was setting up a, um, like someone else finished it off, but I was setting up a, a, a men's mental health group. And, Obviously, you know, it's, it's good to have men and women, but, yeah. you know, there's also women's mental health groups. But I think it's very important in this day and age um, to have a men's mental yeah. health group. And, um, oh, gosh, Russell, you should have seen it. They, we, we have a kind of um, an anonymous kind of private reach out. And um, they were coming in in the dozens. It was, it was crazy. You know, people that you thought were happy all the time and strong, you know, a little bit kind of... Um, you know, kind of walking out with a bit of an attitude and you're kind of scared to talk to them were the ones coming out with, with mental health problems or, or, or people that didn't have anyone to talk to because they thought they weren't listened to. So 100% agree with that, Russell. Yeah. Well, you better tell us something about um, Capsule because actually, uh, and your part in it, because I'd be fascinated to know how, how it's going, but also uh, just to remind anyone or people who haven't heard the first episode of what it is, what it's all about. Thank you. I appreciate that. So... 
in in a nutshell, um, because I know anyone that listens to your March release podcast with our CEO will hear a lot more. Um, the kind of 15 second pitch is it, we've created an app, which is a reverse engineered version of Ancestry.com. So what do I mean by that? If, if Dr. Russell wants to find out who his great, 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 great grandma is, you might find out that she was this instrumental woman of a time that found a medicine which cured millions of people. And depending on what age you found that information out, it might change the trajectory of your life. It might make you a better person. It might not. But no matter how much you dream, you're never, ever going to know who she was as a person. That's Ancestry.com, sold for 4.6-ish billion to Blackstone and, um, and successful company and start, certainly made us think about life a little bit differently about where we came from. What we've created at Capsule is a way where Dr. Russell will be able to leave his memories in first person, video, audio pictures to your great, 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 great grandkids. So 50 to 100 years down the road, they're going to know exactly who you were in first person. And we're going to be able to move those memories securely, generationally, in first person, rather than someone digging up an old shoebox in the attic 50 years after someone in the family wants to sell that house or seeing an old autobiography, which is a couple of pages are missing or, you know, eaten by the eaten by the dog or whatever. So what we're essentially doing, Russell, is securely passing information um, indefinitely. And I, and, and there are two things that really struck me about it when Clint first talked about it. One, which is, um, A, it's, it's you're sort of looking after your legacy because the problem with the current way of legacy building, it's, it's slightly randomised because of the way that social media is exploded and such like. But this allows you to curate your own story, doesn't it? Irrespective of what else might be going on. Because I think the future will be so opaque and diffused that it's about having that, um, that sort of kernel of richness, as it were. I'm really glad you said that. And I'm, this is such a big subject, and I'm going to make sure I keep it short because I want to respect your time. Um, is legacy is my underlining word. It's, it's, it's my whole purpose. Um, it goes back to me being one of the most nostalgic people you'll ever meet in your life. Um, we'll sit by a fireplace with a, with a glass of wine or whatever, and you'll, you'll hear me talk about always about my memories. <clears throat> so this is a very um, emotional, like it's a really sore subject for me to make sure that legacies are passed on indefinitely. So yes, it, it, it's all about legacy. But what we believe is we can really change the world in how people save stories. So what I mean by that is if I save my story, I understand my value. If I understand my value, then I understand that others have a story and their value. Mm -hmm. This in turn means that I engage other people differently based on their values. And that changes how humanity connects with each other. Yes. So it's really, it, it, and, and I don't want to take a dig into any kind of social media platform out there at the moment, but right now, you know, you'll take 20 selfies, pick the best one, put glitter on there, you know, change the way you look. <laughs> and, and that's your kind of identity. That's your identity. That's, that's, yeah. that's what you're passing on to your, your, your kids. No, what we want to do is you take less pictures 
but you add more content. Yeah. You you add the story of of what you're posting and why you're posting and why that was relevant yeah. for you today because it will be a virtual journal. Yeah. But more importantly, for your legacy, for yeah. for the people that you pass that memory on to. Yeah, it's pictures plus context, isn't it? As mm-hmm. much as anything else, yeah. Because I mean, earlier you said be yourself. Everybody else is taken, and wouldn't it be fascinating to to actually have heard that and a conversation around it? Oh. Yes, I've, gosh, I mean, I, I, I think the way the world's going right now, and I'm, I'm not here to, I'm not a freedom fighter or anything like that, but I believe, my personal belief, is the world is not heading in a good place. Mm. Um, I read in my favourite article um, page in the Financial Times, which is my favourite paper, people should read it, um, slightly biased from the British, but um, it, there was an article based on history being lost, and actually, for the first time in history, we have the lowest number of students yeah. enrolling in taking history. Mm-hmm. And I'm soon to be an American this year, a dual passport holder, married to an American, living out here in Colorado now. Um, if you are born in one state and born in another state, the history that you're learning in, in America is completely different. Yeah. One is about finding out about slavery and the other one is finding out about the, the founding fathers. Now, yeah. both are true pieces of history, but there's still this kind of propaganda stance on, on what you're learning, and which is ridiculous. People yeah. should learn the whole of history. And um, I don't want to lose you or lose the audience here, but if you can just picture two kind of timelines wavy timelines one of them is let's just call them democrats and the other one is republicans or one is labor and one's conservative or whatever you want to call it what we believe is we're going to produce another timeline which is the capsule timeline which will be a more truer timeline of stories taught by the actual people for their most loved ones yes not what the propaganda or the directive is for governments at the time because i really believe russell History is only being taught by two types of people, mm-hmm. the victors of wars and current people in power in governments. Yeah. That's it. And what we want to do is change that directive. So history is taught by the people that actually lived it for the people that they love the most. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in a sense, what it's doing is uh, it's curated social history, isn't it? And, and, and I think the point is you're making is about Social historians in the years will look at a, a docu- you know, look at this sort of body or weight of things as well as family members, because I think that's the thing. And it's about learning that. It's learning the lessons of, of, of now, because actually what we're proving today is we haven't really learned the lessons at all of the past. In fact, we just um, seem to be stuck in a sort of hamster wheel and going round and round and round. And it's almost like, you know, my soft, my, my sore points. Yeah. <laughs> the reason why history repeats itself is because nothing's ever been made to make sure that history is passed on indefinitely. Yeah. Or that the lessons are learned from it, because actually it's the point of the lessons. Because Correct. Anyway, anyway, you and I can, you and I are not here yeah. to talk about history, because I know you and I could. So yeah. you, better, you better actually tell us the name of the company and the, and the website and what it is that you're interested in people doing. I appreciate that. So the company is uh, Capsule. It's C-A-P-S-L-L. And the... Um, the website is www.capsulecapsll.app. I'm proud to say that since your recording with Clint, we are now live oh, wow. on both the Apple Play and the Apple, um, sorry, Google Play 
and the Apple Store. And um, yeah, we, we we truly believe it's it'll be a movement for the masses. Um, it'll bring the most amount of good in the most amount of people. And for us, Russell, the joy comes from every individual story and every investor we've pitched, every person we've spoken to has been challenged and has been able to think more deeply about their own legacy and their stories and their meaning. Um, and every person is challenged to think about the meaning of their whole life. And what I will say is the app is very different from current media, um, tech, um, social media tech companies. We, we don't um, have any advertising on the app. There's no data tracking on the app. And our subscribers own their data. And believe it or not, if you're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, wherever, your data is actually owned by them. It's not owned by you. Yeah. Um, we have controlled private sharing um, and we, we're really restoring the meaning for creating that content, which we spoke about before. I'm sorry to be being distracted there. I'm just downloading the app. So as you can probably see, <laughs> so I'm going to have a play and um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. But look, you guys, I, I love what it's, I love what you're doing. I think it's such a brilliant idea and um, it's fascinating to hear your story, story again. So the app is called Capsule, C-A-P-S-L-L. I've found it on the uh, iTunes thing because I'm an all things Apple person. But I'm sure that the, the, um, the dog side have it as well, as you said. And you can find the um, website, it's capsule.app. When you can see the, the three founders of the business looking remarkably similar, like a triad of thrusting, hungry executives with their identical beards and such like, I always think it's very amusing to see how you come together. And Sam, it's been a joy to talk to you today. And um, thank you for your, your um, reflections on life, the universe and everything. It's been great. Thank you, Russell. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Great. You take care and all the best for the, the, the scheme. Keep going. Thank you. Take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.